There's mummies and dummies and ghosts that bark. There's goblins and ghoulies that wait in the dark. If you wish to wet your pants with fright, listen to Gaxi on Goosebumps tonight. I'm gonna come. Boo, my dudes. And welcome back to Gatsy on Goosebumps, the only show in which I read and review every single Goosebumps book from R.L. Stein's original series. And joining me, as always, is my co-host with the most ghost, the Dungeon Master, Sam Rogerson. How are you, Samuel? Come in. It's me. I've let myself in to read Goosebumps books. And I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I'm quite well. Um, I do, before we kick off with, with today's book... I do need to yep. just read a statement. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah go for it. <clears throat> On our last episode, I read aloud a question from a listener that insinuated that Equinox petrochemical solutions produced chemicals which were later used in attacks on civilians in, in Syria and the Persian Gulf from the period of 2013 to 2019. I deeply regret airing this accusation and for not pushing back on the claims made by the listener. Had I done my research, I would have known that Equinox Petrochemical Solutions categorically denies these accusations and the 2019 report from Amnesty International from which they arise. I would have also known that Equinox Petrochemical Solutions has a comprehensive vetting process to ensure that chemicals produced by the, com by the company are only ever used against specific and determined threats to national security and not against civilians. I would like to remind listeners that Equinox Petrochemical Solutions has a strict three strikes you're out policy towards human rights violations and would encourage listeners to explore the hashtag not my Equinox hashtag on social media to read many heartwarming stories from the diverse members of the global Equinox family. I unreservedly apologize to the employees, executives and shareholders of Equinox Petrochemical Solutions and promise to you, my listeners, that in future I will focus less on unsubstantiated rumors and more on sp spooky books for little babies. Sam, how are you? Great. Great. Good. I think I think we're all going to be a lot better yeah. now that we um now that we've kind of, you know, swept that under the rug, you know what I mean? Monster blood. Monster blood. What's it all about? Well, before we answer that what are we looking at on the front cover here with monster blood sam do you have the classic version or do you have i mean you, you listen to an audiobook again um what was the 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 thumbnail being used so the ones that i've been using i've been looking at you know deep fried memes yeah There's, someone's kind of deep fried memed all the covers but i think by accident but th this time i, I did a two-part uploaded by scariest stories and I'm, I'm sure you were going to ask this anyway, but Monster Blood was one that was always in the school library, and mm -hmm. I saw it at the book exchange for $2 in Shepparton, and I never picked it because it looked boring. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm very, I'm very curious to see if, if you believe that holds up. I guess it's quite a, a subtle cover from uh, Tim Jacobus here. We've got the wooden steps, green slime coming down. It's quite different to the slime that's sort of described in the book. This one looks very liquidy and not very sticky. And it's got a pair of glasses there that are just sort of ominously on the stairs, leading us to believe that something has happened to the wearer of the glasses. And um, the slime read. yeah, that it could be the slime. It could be the actual slime's glasses. And maybe it's sort of his face that's like staring back at us. But don't you agree that like compared to like, I've got the cover for Monster Blood 2 next yeah. to it, just like in Google image search. Yeah. And like, there's so many Goosebumps books that, you know, whether they're good or bad, the cover is kind of like, you know, Beast from the East. It's got something on the cover that is like, what is that? Yeah. I, Whereas I, this is like, it's very tame. 
like as a kid, maybe, but as a as an adult, I like the the less is more approach. I like the yes, subtlety. Absolutely, yes. It, I think it ages way better than like the weird mouse rack thing on number two. Did I read the tagline? Yeah. It's it's a I monster blood know. drive. It's the oh, ah I didn't get that. <laughs> Not only when I was a kid, but right now, five minutes ago, I was like, Drop. "Why is it driving?" <laughs> yeah, yes, that's literally. I was like, "It's a monster blood drive." I was like, "And." So the, uh, the blurb reads, blood, blood everywhere. While staying with his weird great aunt Catherine, Evan visits a funky old toy store and buys a dusty can of monster blood. Now, I should say on the back here, monster blood isn't capitalized. So it just seems like he's saying, I bought a can of like beans or I bought a can of, sp-. like, it's just something you buy at the shops. I'm just going to get some monster yeah, blood. Yeah, like monster energy drink. And yes. I also would like to say at this point, I prefer uh equinox natural energy supplement drink uh when i need a bit of a kick um during yes. during podcast recording uh now now available Absolutely. in uh in very berry flavor it's fun to play with at first and evan's dog trigger likes it so much he eats some but then evan notices something weird about the green uh, spoiler- excuse me spoiler alert what is this and then evan notices something weird about the green slimy stuff it seems to be growing and growing. And it comes out of me when I wake up in the night after having a sexy dream. And growing. And all <laughs> that growing has given the monster blood a monstrous appetite. Absolutely. If you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, I'll say it did. This is our yes. segment that I copied from a more successful podcast. You're going to have 30 seconds to summarize the plot. Are you ready? Uh, yes. Ready, set, yes. go. Monster Blood is about a boy who has to live with his aunt, who is deaf, but apparently can't read lips and apparently doesn't know sign language. He goes to the shop with his friend Andy, who is a cool chick. They buy a can of Monster Blood. They take it home. Uh, it grows in size. Dog gets big. Two mean boys inside. Ten seconds. And then Sarah Beth, the cat lady, is evil. Blob eats her. And I've got time to spare. Yeah, pretty do I? All right. Yeah, no, you do. That was that was you, you, 26 seconds you finished up on. That's, that's a great job. This was always one of my favorites as a kid, and I want to talk about why it was and why it no longer is. But oh, have you, have you flipped on I certainly have. I certainly have, and I'll explain why. But we'll, first, we'll, we'll go through the plot. So as you said, Evan is being left with his great aunt, Catherine, who, as you said, is completely deaf because his parents are looking for houses in Atlanta. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. His great aunt isn't deaf because his parents are looking for houses. I believe she was born with the condition. Like, I believe it's possible my syntax could have been improved on that sentence. <laughs> I will accept that. We'll get into the we'll get into the characters a bit later, but um, she's got this really weird cat called Sarah Beth. Evan makes a friend called Andy. She's really cool and quirky. They buy this can from a shop, from a funky old toy store. There are two bullies that sort of beat up Evan for no discernible reason. But once they open this can of monster blood, it just keeps growing and growing. And eventually it gets to the point where it's like going to consume them. Also trigger eats some, trigger the dog eats some. And he grows really, really big and runs away. Um, So it gets to the point where this blob is really, really big. And um, at the end, the showdown at this house, Sam, can you sort of explain what, what's revealed and what, what has been the cause of all this? I'll, I'll try because I had, I, so I got this audiobook is three hours long and I probably got to about two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. 
And yep. I stopped to have dinner and I was like, wow, loving this. Great book. Came back for the last 20 minutes and I feel like R.L. Stein also had 20 minutes to write the last third of this book. A lot happens in the last like 20 pages, right? Like the cat turns out to be a person, <laughs> which I mean, it's heavily hinted at in the way that she's always talking to the cat as if it's a person, but she's a bit of a kooky old nut. Yeah. Did stuff. you, did you think the cat, there was something about the cat or did you think that's just R.L. Stein trying to throw you off? I thought there was something with the cat, but then when the dog got big, I thought mm, big dog, also a threat. Mm. I didn't expect the aunt to have been mind yeah. controlled by the Yeah, because we've got, I guess you've already got two threats in the form of the monster blood and the giant dog. It's it's weird to add a yes. third hostile element. But essentially, Catherine states that she has been Sarabeth's, that's the cat, slave for over 20 years, and that Sarabeth took away her hearing to make her more dependent on Sarabeth. She says it all yeah. ends here, however, because she's going to throw herself in the monster blood. So essentially, Sarabeth was this sorceress or this witch that Catherine, like, lived with, I guess, or was friends with. And Catherine was going to tell everyone about Sarabeth's evil magic. So Sarabeth made her deaf and prevented her from reading lips. And then because Sarabeth didn't want, I guess, anybody to find out about her when Evan came to stay and he came home with some monster blood. Sarabeth got Catherine to put a spell on the monster blood to make it really, really big. Anyway, Sarabeth now controls the monster blood, apparently, and she's going to get it to eat up Evan and Andy and Catherine. But Trigger comes in and he's a really big dog because he ate some monster blood, pushes Sarabeth into the big pile of monster blood. That just hits the reset button. She disappears. The people that the monster blood ate are released and the monster blood shrinks down to a tiny drop. Then, you know, mum comes in. Everyone's happy. We're all having a good ending. Andy says, hey, can I keep that uh, last drop of monster blood as a souvenir? And it's gone magically. What do you think of <laughs> what do you think of Evan as a character, Sam? During during the week, I believe I texted you saying that I thought these were the two most likable characters so far. Yep. And I want to know I want to know if you agree with that. You mean Evan and Andy? Yeah, Evan and Andy. They they like their friendship and it's yep. like the dialogue between them yep. is the most like awesome, fun. They, they, there's no, they're not, there's no whining. Even just like the joking that Evan and Andy have when they first there's meet. There's some banter. Like, there's some good banter. Yeah, they seem more like kids than the yeah. other kids do. Who are like complaining all the time. So I loved Evan and Andy's characters from the start. I mean, so look, I've previously been harsh on on kids for complaining too much. Evan's complaining yes. a lot in the first chapter, but I think it's totally justified. His mum never yes. gives him a reason why he can't come with them to like yes. look at houses. Yes. This person who can't communicate to anyone is supposed to look after her child. Yeah, it's pretty harsh. It, it is pretty harsh. It's, it's you know, at least you can say in if, uh, stay out of the basement, like the mum, you know, had to had to go and look after her, her sister or something. Couldn't take two kids. Evan's her only child. You could have easily taken him. It makes me think maybe Evan's mum and dad, like, wanted some, like, alone time in Atlanta is what I'm thinking of. What? For, for two weeks? Hey, mate. <laughs> give me give me three see what i can do um sam uh, the reason i i, I always thought of this is my favorite was because l- looking back i thought it was such a cool story it really it was just because i really like the character of andy i think andy is so yes. fun she is great she, like so there's so few times that these characters are anything but 
generic 12 year old stand in, you know, it's just like they're meant to be bland enough that they can be representative of any person reading it. But Andy is fun. She's funny. She's got a sense of humor. She dresses really cool and she's full of really good ideas. Evan can go fuck himself. I really fucking hate Evan. (laughs) First of all, I have to hit, I know every episode I do this. Yeah. I'm going to have to ring the simp simp alarm um, for you (laughs) and Andy. Simp. You have never classified as a simp chimp. So, so you disagree? What, 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 what's the problem? No, 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 no. The first instance when Andy's got her bike and her and Evan having their little like banter about yep. like um, a dumb name and like yep. they're, they're being self-deprecating yep. in like, oh, your name's dumb too. Like I'm like, oh, how genuine! Like what a genuine interaction that seems like. And I think also I think you, you and I are quite similar. It's quite easy to picture yourself in that scenario. Yes, yes. It's nerve-wracking, so you're putting yourself down a little bit to try and not come across as a jerk. And I didn't get a huge whiny vibe from Evan throughout. I mean, he gets beat up a few times, which I don't feel like he deserves. Like, no, he does not. Well, we'll get we'll get on that. Don't worry. But like, I feel like considering what he's going through and how rough it is that his parents just don't want him around. Yeah, I, I didn't find him that whiny. You know, it wasn't whiny. Yeah, you know what it was? It was the fact that when this monster blood thing kicks off, it starts growing. They don't know what to do. Andy is full of like genuine suggestions. Yes. And even has no friends. And this lovely girl, Andy. Yes, I'm a simp chimp for Andy. Simp Simp chimp. chimp. Um, really like helps him out. Like this is a new kid in town. You can just be like, I'm not fucking hanging out with that kid. Like let him sort his own yes. monster blood problems out. Yeah. But like, l- listen, listen to some examples I've highlighted that afternoon, about an hour before dinner time, Evan called Andy. Can I come over? He asked. I have a small problem. Sounds like a big problem. Andy said, yeah. Okay. A big problem. Evan snapped impatiently. I'm not in the mood to kid around. Okay. Andy goes, okay, sorry. Like she apologizes. There's another one. Oh, this is to, and this is to someone else is when they go to, (laughs) by the way, it should be pointed out that um, when they buy the monster blood, short short detour, the guy specifically says, it's not going to work. Don't come back and bring it back to me when it's, when it doesn't work. And they're like, when it's growing, they're like, oh no, we'll bring it back. Like he, he specifically said that. Anyway, they go back to try and return it. And then they find out this funky old toy store is closed down in the short time that they've, since they bought it. I guess that one can of monster blood wasn't enough to like pay the rent um, for some reason. Oh, well, just sold one can this week. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, somebody, somebody open up. No reply. He pounded with both fists. Silence. Oh, sorry. He doesn't yell out silence. I, it's, it, there's silence. He panted with both silence. fists. Silence. Finally, Andy had to pull him away. The store is closed. A young woman called from across the street. It closed a few days ago. See, it's all boarded up and everything. Very helpful, Evan muttered under his breath. All right. Well, if, if you knew it was closed and boarded up, why were you banging on the front door? Here's another slight detour. So very close to the end when he realizes that his mum had to pick him up. And he just goes, yes. not my problem now. Yes. Just when he realizes mom's picking up, like, like it's, it's building up to a climax. Like, what are we going to do with this? The, the monster boy is currently yeah. overflowing yeah. out of a trash can in his great aunt, who it should be said, and even though she, she's like, what are we going to do? It's like, oh, well, just leave it there. I'm going home. He doesn't even like, he doesn't even like resolve to tell aunt Catherine about it. He's like, oh, right, it's no. fucking, it's, it's this, I'm going to Atlanta. It's a different state's problem now. <laughs> He's like, fuck off. I'm out. And, and like, 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 you can't leave. You can't leave it here. And he's like, oh, see ya. 
So this this is some of Andy's like suggestions about what to do with the monster bud. Uh, what about your aunt? Maybe Aunt Catherine can think of something. Are you kidding? She can't hear me. She doesn't want to hear me. She hates me. She just sits at a jigsaw puzzle and argues with that horrible black cat all day. Okay, forget the aunt, Andy said, making a dispirited face. Perhaps if you told Dr. Forrest, oh yeah, for sure, Evan snapped. He'd really believe that Trigger is turning into a giant because I let him eat monster blood. And then the, the same page. Maybe we should call the police, Andy said thoughtfully, tucking at a strand of hair. Oh, sure, Evan replied, rolling his eyes. They really believe us, for sure. We bought this stuff in a toy store, officer, and now it's growing bigger and bigger and turning my dog into a giant monster. Evan, this is not her problem. She is helping you out, and you are giving her jack shit in return. You're just shooting down all of her ideas and offering nothing in response. It's your problem, mate. Sort it out. Also, I think people would take you seriously if your dog was the size of a shed. Can we also point out how fucking dumb both of these kids are that they buy monster blood, the dog eats monster blood, the monster blood starts growing and the dog starts growing. It takes them half the fucking book to realize that the dog's growing because it ate this substance that's also growing. Now, look, at the podcast called Say Podcast and Die, they do they review good books and they go into a lot of like gender theory and queer theory in it. So I don't want to step on yeah. those, their toes, but I can't help but noticing Evan has putting aside his rudeness that's directed towards, well, exclusively women in this. There's also some some comments he makes. So I don't know if you picked up on this. This is when he first goes into um, his room where he's staying at, um, at Aunt Catherine's. Yep. Sighing again, he picked himself up and walked along the bookshelves, his eyes scanning the titles. There were lots of science books and textbooks he saw, books on biology and astronomy, ancient Egypt, chemistry texts, and medical books. Several shelves were filled with dusty yellowed books. Maybe Catherine's husband had been some sort of scientist. <laughs> yeah, it had to be it had to be the husband. There's no way this weird woman could also have all these interests. I bet she was married to a man who had these interests. There's, yeah. another, there's another exchange here where he first meets Andy and he goes, yeah, he nodded. It's Evan. Evan's stupid. She laughed. That's a really stupid name. He felt glad that he made her laugh. She was cheering up, he realized. A lot of the girls back home didn't appreciate his sense of humour. Yes. Well, that tells yes. to me, mate. <laughs> that tells me you're not that funny. I had marked that down as, as like the girls I know from my high school don't respect a real gentleman. Yes, like, like, exactly. Was, like, like, himself, like, like, my head was off brand for the normies at my school. If everyone was around like today, he'd be like, oh, all the girls in my high school are sluts. They just wear makeup all the time and talk about Nicki Minaj yes, yes. and just, yeah, want to sleep with guys that aren't me. Oh, they, they don't they don't understand my uh, sophisticated sense of humour. We got yes, real... Was big vibes. We, yes, we got the real makings of, a, of an incel. I think we I might be able to put together a jingle for incel watch, but I think Evan definitely <laughs> hits the nail on the head. I listened to this audiobook and I, I noticed that um this was the first one with a male narrator and the cadence in which they read these is quite slow. Like, yep. uh, for example, they'll say something like, the monster blood, on the other hand, was actually not that nice to eat. That's how they, <laughs> like, they say it like that, almost like Judith Lucy talking. Yeah, so yeah. I put it on two times speed, I picked up on some of the things that Evan was saying as being like shitty or like he's a bit of a dick, but it's not until you're repeating them to me now that it's like sinking in more. He's being so much kinder to him than he deserves. Well, I mean, look, no, and look, that is a choice on, on how I'm reading those. Like you could, you well, could. I, I, I definitely agree. Like I definitely agree. Like, like that's, that's absolutely how I see it now. Yeah. And look, and that, that is because I already came away with that conclusion of Evan. So once I've formed that, everything he says is going to be skewed 
towards the, yes. the characterization yeah. I have. And one final thing, it's sort of, I think this keeps with like that incel, <laughs> the fedora wearing anime fan at the back of the class. Um, this is after he gets harassed by the Bamer twins, who we will discuss. Evan returned to yeah. Catherine's, walking slowly, thinking about the Bamer twins, daydreaming about fighting them, imagining himself beating them to a pulp in a fight as Andy watched, cheering him on. I think that's very telling. That's his fantasy, you know? Yes, yes. It's not just that he's getting revenge. It's revenge that is viewed by another person, like, like like a voyeur is watching him get his revenge. It gave me vibes as like that fedora guy at the back of the class, like... I will defend your honour, my Yes, friend, yes, like like a school shooter bursts in and all the... um all the football jocks hide under the tables and then he pulls out like a samurai sword and like defeats him like instantly and all the girls realise like how cool and actually gentlemanly he is. I saw a lot oh, of those fights. Oh, we should fights. have been nice to him instead of bullying him yeah, and dating the guy. Yeah, we should have realised how cool he actually was the whole time. Anyway, enough slamming Evan. What do you think of Catherine? Do you think she was cool? Do you think, would you, you know, quirky, quirky I older think, woman? Yeah, I think they gave her enough character without making her seem too cantankerous or kind of like too old witch or old hag style, which I think is like an easy thing to do to make someone seem like that. But I think they made her be a little bit funny in places, like that she had a sense of humour. Yeah, yeah. Physically as well, it says she's got like long black hair. She's like quite broad. She's got a deep voice. She's sort of, it's not, yeah, it's not your standard sort of frail, like screechy voice, witch characteristic. I was going to say, there's a at the start, I noticed, tell me if you noticed this. What I picked up from the first few, like the first 20 minutes of the audio book, probably the first two or three chapters is like, I'm sure this is just the time that we've written in. And I'm sure that like, people with these disabilities could speak to it more. But the way they talk about her is a bit like, oh, she's a bit simple because she's mm. deaf. The way he wrote it, I was like, oh, I hope he comes round in the end to like to kind of like prove himself wrong on purpose by setting her up as a bit inept with some things. I hope it's more that this is a circumstance of the plot that she happens to be this way. And I kind of felt sad for her in the beginning in a way that, you know, I haven't felt for some of these other potential mm. antagonists in the book where I'm like, Oh, I, I hope she had a good life. I was worried she had dementia or something at the start, mm. but um, I feel like it, it kind of tiptoed a little bit to the edge of like, this woman is very masculine in a way that is scary. The things they used to define them as imposing was like masculine things. In, That's in, in right. Way, like, you know, imposing, deep voice. You know, she looks a bit like a man. I was like, oh, she's like she's cutting up beef, which you know, is, I guess is you know, kind of. You know, it's not like it's not. It's like she's this voluptuous older woman with like gray hair and a big smile who like who bakes you a, a, yes. a cake all the time I said granny style i did kind of like when i was looking, thinking about it, i was like there's a read where this is a yeah yeah I, i'm i'm sure that rl stein is, is not making a comment on trans people in yeah. 1990s america um but like just just a bit of the way he was describing that i was like oh yeah th- th- this trope of like this woman is manly this is why she is scary kind of yeah a little bit only a little bit, but I think it was still definitely present. Again, to refer back to, and, you know, I, I want to give them their dues because they, they delve into it a lot better than I do. But, again, the folks on, say, podcast and die, they, I think, suggest, and I'm, it's, hard to, it's hard to sort of ignore, the, a reading that at one stage Catherine and Sarah Beth were romantically involved. Yeah, th- these are people that can be read as, Partners, they live together is like the the implied. I don't know, like um, idea. I mean, it sort of fits in with this traditional 
I guess, perception of the old woman who has all these strange interests, you know, you know, she yes, lives on the is- edge of town. She eschewed social norms. So she might eschew the, the sort of the standard nuclear family model. You know, she may um, yes, yes. look outside of men for, for companionship because otherwise, I mean, that, as you said, that whole, whole revelation at the end about Sarah Beth and Catherine is sort of comes very, very quickly. And we don't really flesh into it, but there's got to be a reason that Sarah Beth wants Catherine to be her slave. You know, she wants to keep her around. You know, it's obviously a, a yes. very unhealthy relationship. I think it's one thing where I thought that the great aunt was maybe manipulating the cat who was maybe a person. Yeah. I was like, is this like an abuse sub theme? Like mm. an abuse or, um, but obviously it turned out to be the other way around. But I was like, is this like the vibe I got when they, when they said the thing about she was made her not to talk and couldn't read lips? It, got, it gave me the vibe of like, you're not allowed to talk to anyone other than me. You can't leave the house. I don't want you hearing what these people say about me. Like, like an overprotective partner. Yeah, that's the vibe from that. No, there's that, there's that, definitely that, that, that a reading the there that like she Sarah Beth literally makes Catherine unable to communicate with other people in the same way that you know yes. um, that's often not done literally not through making people death deaf and preventing them to lip read, but this control over over who. Yeah. This person you it's think like belongs to you, who they can talk to and what they can do. I, I do think, and this is the this is the biggest objection I have to to the story, besides like Evan, Evan is a shit heel, but I can I can put up with it. In terms of story-wise, it seems to me that R.L. Stein had a story with a green slime that keeps growing, and he had another story about a crazy old woman who keeps a cat that is actually a magic evil cat. I reckon they could be two much more solid stories by themselves. I see the monster blood as like a science fiction creation and I see the magic obviously as like fantasy and I don't like it when Eddie does it in a few of his books, fuse that scientific side with the fantasy side. Was this cashing in on the flubber hype? The the idea of like slime as yeah, sort of a, like this, a force, you know, there was the blob in the 1950s yeah. and there was the remake with, with John Carpenter. And there's there's lots of movies yes. that just feature this substance that keeps sort of... The theme of like what the slime represents, I think, again, the fact that it's faceless is good because it can be an ominous presence that you can attach your own fear to, like, you know, whether it's like debt or getting old or yeah 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 it represents it like, represents fears that lots of people have yes yes um but going back to why i thought this book when i was a kid was boring i never read it because of the cover is that my thought was like well if it's just slime what's scary about slime I was mm. like, as a kid i was like no that's not scary like even one with like a you know a zombie on it or a vampire or something or the dummy that was terrifying to me Mm. With this, before they bought the monster blood in the store, yeah, I was quite enjoying, and you know, as we said, we were quite enjoying their relationship and stuff. Mm. I kind of forgot that monster blood was supposed to be, see, like the you know, it's the name of the book. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was like, oh, no, that going to feature in, and, and it must be in a pretty big way. But as soon as they got the can, they opened it. I was, I, it was quite disappointing. But yeah, you know, mm. and I think because it is such a, a sci-fi thing. I feel like it plays really well to an adult audience, but not so much to a child audience whose idea of Halloween costume. Like, no one dresses up as a blob as, of as slime. A slob, yeah. It's quite a interesting monster of the week monster to pick when, as you said, the the cat that is trapped, yeah. the human trapped inside a cat who's sick of the evil wizard. Right? That, yeah, that seems way more like tenable to a to a you know a ten year old kid going, Oh my god, there's an evil sorceress. Well, having can, said that, like kids stuff. Kids love slime, though. 
That was the other thing. Like, does this cash in on the, the slime? Well, you, you know, like 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 Nickelodeon at the time was like, you know, all like the green slime was everywhere. You know, I think it's a conscious choice that he made it green, for example. You know, this I don't know what what it is, but like green slime, it is like I guess aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit gross. You like you want to like touch it, but it's also, it also grosses you out. It's a bit of a nothing burger. Like it's just like okay, we have the slime now. It's getting bigger. How does how is that scary to the people? This is meant to be scary. You haven't really given me a reason to find it scary other than it makes things big. It wasn't ominous in the way that the other ones have been ominous to me. And it's it's interesting that so this is monster blood and there's obviously later monster blood two three and four they never mention aunt catherine they never mention you know sarah beth or anything the the monster blood just returns and it just it does the same thing it grows and grows but they completely ditch the the aspect that's like this magical spell well that's what i was going to say because like you'll know this better than i will but like how many goosebumps books get sequels and not just sequels three or four additions to the original story. I can only think of the Night of the Living Dead and I can think of this one, the mummy, and then... No, (laughs) Night of the Living Dummy and them. (laughs) Not like... Anyway, continue. Why did they think this was so marketable? Or why did R.L. Stein think he had so much gas in the tank when the first one, as you said, could be made into a better book itself? But he did a half-assed job. Is it, is it, was it him just refining it? I think it was, in this first book, we've got a few, like, things that could potentially be scary. You've got witches, you've got a big dog, you've got a green slime monster. So I think he took from this, all right, that, that big dog idea, let's, let's go with that. So number two and three are just about, it's not about a slime monster chasing people. It's, it's about things growing bigger that shouldn't have because of the slime. So it's not so much the monster blood, it's what the monster blood does. Where in this one, the big what? slime, the big blob of slime is in itself a, a protagonist. So it seems like its power is basically that it possesses creatures, right, or possesses things. But, like, that's not what I expect from the slime. I expect the slime to be engulfing things, like what it does with the the twins, like the slime itself. Well, you're right. It could could just be a candy that does that. Like you you have a piece of candy and it makes you grow big. I was hoping that the dog would become, like, a dog person. Like maybe it made the twins into, into, like, a giant person yeah. like i thought there was going to be more fantasy to the actual effect to what of the, the substance slime. can do yes yes yeah and the thing is like so at the end of the day all this was was actually it was literally just a toy it was like silly putty and it only does this stuff because catherine puts us because yeah because catherine puts a spell on it that that really bothered me because I was like I I thought it was a drink or food or something. Give, give me anything. Like, oh. Give me like a scientific experiment gone wrong and put in a can yeah. or like a, a company recalled this product because yeah. it was having a weird effect on people. But it's but literally just, just like, a toy that someone put a spell on. Yes, I, I thought Monster Blood itself was like some evil company and don't look too deep into this because there's no other real world parallel to this. Some evil corporation or company had put like nuclear waste or chemical weapons into a tin yeah. and they got mixed up and end up in a supermarket. So that's what I thought it was going to. And when at the end, when it was like, oh, and I put that spell on the monster blood when you weren't looking, I was like, so it wasn't already evil? Yeah, that, which is, it's so, it's so deflating. And then it makes you think, okay, surely you could, if, you could have done anything. You could have made a fucking fork chase him out of the house. Like, yes, because they do focus on the shredded wheat that he finds it hard to eat. Make, make that like, that's what I mean. That's what makes me think that there was, he, he thought, oh, I want a big giant 
glob of slime and I also want this creepy old woman and I'll just and crash, had, crash, crash those things together. I feel like now reading these as an adult, a lot of these seem like anthologies. Like you could have a collection of five of these and publish it as an anthology and it works because the characters are unrelated usually. So like the, these, as you said, these could have been two mini stories. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, that's cool. But as you said, when they combine them together, it's like it, it lacks the kind of the bombasticness of a full Gustav story where there's more tying it all together. It's more narratively yeah. tied together. Um, and actually, that brings me to my next point. What did you make of the Bamer or the Beamer twins? I say Bamer, but um, what did you make of them? They could have not been there. And it would have made no difference to me. They have no bearing on the plot whatsoever. Like, no. all, they're there to, like, beat well, up like, Evan. Do you know what would have been cool? Is what? it, like, they steal the monster blood and yep. then Evan has to confront them and that's why they fight. They literally are there to give Evan a hard time. But he's already having a hard time. Exactly, with yeah. Well, to be honest, because I was listening at two times speed, if I did zone out for a minute, like, you could potentially miss quite a lot. And the only two times, maybe three times I zoned out for a minute or two was, both times the Bamer twins come up yep, yep. and towards that last end bit when like it's all happening a million miles an hour. And these Bamer twins, yeah, I was just like, are they going to be like little henchmen for the, you know, for the grandma or for the great aunt? Or is there, are, there, are these the sons of the, of the guy who owns the shop? Their mindset is we're getting this back for our dad who owns the shop. They're nothing. They're nothing. You know, they're, he's already having a hard time. There's no reason to add like bullies who, who it's just and here's a good idea for Monster Blood 2. Those twins are in the house when everything goes down. They're inside the they're inside the slime. Yeah. They are there in the exact same room as Andy and um Evan. And the stuff is gone. They should be the protagonists of Monster Monster Blood 2, because there's two of them, mm-hmm. and they stole the monster blood while everyone everyone, everyone was like commiserating and like you know yeah yeah well as you off. said they they weren't they were in the house they were part of the blob so imagine imagine a future world in a, in a certain alternate universe where monster blood 2 is they stole it because they thought it was cool and then like it takes place in from their point of view mm, mm, mm. it writes itself it's not it won't be the last time Arlstein uses bullies but usually they have some bearing on on what the the protagonist does like it's not like evan decided to use monster blood to get back at them or something or like you said they yes. stole monster blood or anything they're there to be mean to beat up evan and and that's it i did get neo-nazi slash psychopath vibes from them the description we get is they were twins identical twins both were big beefy guys with short white blonde hair and round okay. red faces they were both wearing dark T-shirts with the names of heavy metal bands on the front, baggy shorts, and high-top sneakers untied without that is socks. Exactly. Now that you mentioned that, I don't know how I missed that. Like, yes, that is, in particular the 90s, that is what like, a thrash metal kid would look like mm. in the street. And that is like a very, you know, there's a lot of ties with that culture and skinhead and nazism and things like that so yeah like, that's you know, that's what that, made me think and, and, that and yeah because i know there are there, there are those those links between that music culture yes. and do we know what state is you know a flyover state there's obviously not a lot of people there they've, they've got this funky old toy store that's like you know it's not very modern or very new i sort of Sort of, I get another sort of sense of, of you know, industrial decline or... or yeah, does this seem to be a theme? I picture, in all these books, I could picture them all taking place in Lincoln, Nebraska. Like, just, there's a town, there's a wheat field on the of town, there's one main street, there's an old video store, there's a couple of mum and pop shops there. And then, and then there's the haunted house there. that no one goes near. Yes, yes, like, that, that is how I picture 
almost all these stories you've read so far. And I think it's funny because, like, I mentioned that this on one of the earlier episodes, but, like, if these took place in a bustling metropolitan city, it wouldn't have the same impact. Because, no. Like, there's so much going on in those suburb cities and suburbs. Yeah, like, there wouldn't be the same sense of isolation that, that Evan's going yes. through. As I said, there's going to be more bullies in the Goosebumps series, but they're often a lot more, I guess you'd call them, 90s uh, TV cartoon like binky barnes yes. from, from the from arthur um who are a lot more they're yes. sort of they have a method to their madness and like they're almost like funny in the way that like they're clearly the bully but like they're, they're, they're quite, they're quite fun to watch yes these two are just psychopaths they just punch evan for no reason you know they attack andy and like steal her bike it's revealed they tie a cat to a tree at one stage and like one yeah. part i think was like really terrifying andy comes out of a shop and sees them like trying to steal his dog like how scared yes. would you be that was one of the parts that i marked down was that a lot of this book, I was fearful that he was going to do the easy thing of like the dog's going to die or like you know, the dog because they have killed pets in the past in these books. Yeah, and I was like, oh, don't kill the sad old dog. Like it's already getting old. But that was the part that made them. The only time I was afraid of those, like like I pictured myself being afraid of those kids, was coming out of the of the supermarket shop there, yeah, or grocery they, store, or whatever. Yeah, and they're, they're trying to take his dog or just like harm it in some way because I feel like every small town or every town as a kid growing up you know there are those kids that that do that like shit. that hurt animals yeah. because like they've got nothing yes. to do and like it's the kind of kids that like you and your friends know that, that that's weird or not on but these kids are the kids that like don't seem to see that there's a line they're crossing ever and I picture that very vividly with these kids and that's the scariest part of the book so I thought you know not only do they they not sort of serve any purpose in the plot their wickedness is sort of at odds with, I guess, the the tone that R.L. Stein was going for, or I, I think he was going yes. for. They really do make it yeah. a bit more a bit more violent and a bit more, like, scary, but not in the way that I think he intended. We'll be right back after these brief messages. Did you know that GoldenEye 64 was originally based on a James Bond movie? Or that in Japan, Mario translates to Honorable Man of Plumbing? If you didn't, you might want to subscribe to the Super Game Bros podcast. I'm TJ. And I'm Marcus. And every week we bring you the hot tips, trivia, and secrets of all of your favorite video games from yesterday and today. Huh, maybe you should listen, Marcus. Maybe you'd finally stop me kicking your butt in PUBG all day. Okay, dude, not cool. Listen to Super Game Bros wherever you get your podcasts from Henderson Entertainment. Welcome back. We are discussing Goosebumps number three, uh, Monster Blood from R.L. Stein's classic series. Uh, we just gone through discussing the characters. Samuel, are there any moments you really thought stood out to you um, as scary or impactful? Um, no. Usually there's a couple of scenes you can point to and go, that was really eerie. Or, that was really terrifying. Like, I feel like the dog bounding over to him when it's big is meant to be scary and it's not. I just think it's probably the, the dream sequence that he has. He has two dreams and he wakes up from one dream and he's in another dream, which is lazy. Still for rewriting <laughs> to have a double dream. But I think that dream sequence was probably the closest I felt to being like, oh, this is a bit eerie. Everything else was a bit pulpy. It was a bit more like Saturday cartoon. A bit schlocky, then, can you say? Yeah, I feel like there was no real way to let your mind wander because it... Again, a scary dad who's hell-bent and doesn't talk to his family and he's isolating himself. Your mind can wander with that in a way that you can scare yourself. Whereas with this plot, you can't really put yourself in a situation where you're terrified of a can of flubber that mm. just makes things a little bit bigger. Even when Sarah Beth 
transforms into a person. By that stage, I'm, I'm already just, I'm just going, what? Did you, did you feel the same? Yeah, I did. I, you know, it's, the idea of this blob chasing you down the street is like more comical than I think R.L. Stein wanted it to be. It's sort of like, it's a funny visual. And the idea that they can't outrun this thing is ridiculous. Like it, it, we know it's it's sticky and it's slow. There's no chance this thing is actually going to absorb them. And I guess I just don't think this line, as it was described, it was not very sort of conducive to thrills. There was sort of a scene where Evan almost gets sucked into a bathtub full of it, which I think is like kind of scary, you know, being in this sticky stuff, like green quicksand in your bath. You know, there's a very real chance he's going to drown in there. And that's a pretty nasty way to go covered like by this thing that wants to consume you. Besides that, yeah, it was, it was literally, and I don't think, I think it was meant to come off from Arlstein as, oh, look at these ruffians. But the, the Beamer twin, you come outside and these twins are trying to like do something to your dog is really, really scary. And I think more scary than, than he intended it to be. And I think why that is, is because it's the only part that, you don't know what they're going to do. And I think that's the thing is that like a lot of, a lot of this book is like, I had no idea what the actual, you know, monster blood was mm. or what it did. Mm. And that it was like going into it, it was like, oh, I finally had to figure out what this thing does and how it came to be. Mm. And is it the blood of a, of a monster? That and it's not, it's literally just a toy. The scariest part is those twins with the dog because these twins are absolutely fucking off the rails. And yeah, yeah they're trying to untie a dog to do what? That's the mm. part that makes your mind go, oh, they're going to kill it. Are they going to sell it? Mm. Are they going to take it for themselves? Are they going to mistreat it? Like, that's the only part that I deem to be, like, quite scary. What about the scene where Trigger has eaten the monster blood and Evan comes out and he's choking on his collar because he's, he's, he's... That was sad. That yeah. was sad. I had taken my cat to the vet the day before this. That part made me anxious. I would say, rather than but like, not scared, you know, spooky. Yeah. yeah, it's not spooky. It's just, it's just terrifying. And that I hope the dog doesn't die because I'd be sad. <laughs> I think R.L. Stein said, "Hey, slime is big. I want to have a big blob of green slime." Kids love that. But then he said, "Next question is, all right, how does this slime come to be?" And I think to reach the conclusion that oh, it's a toy. It's toy slime that someone puts a spell on, I think is a really weak way to get this really strange substance to exist. Before we go on to what did we learn, what do we rate Monster Blood out of five? I think you gave, yeah, you know, you went four for Welcome to Dead House and three and a half for Stay Out of the Basement. Yes, or I think pretty comfortably I give this one a two. Mm -hmm. I would second you on that one. As I said, I love... Andy, I think there's so many great ideas in this and it just comes together really, really poorly. And I've, yeah, I, I, we've touched on it before. It's two concepts, I think, that just do not work very well together. And I think it's telling that one of those concepts was dropped entirely for what I would consider the very much superior sequels to Monster Blood. So in consensus, giving it two out of five stars for Monster Blood. I'm not looking at the, the YouTube comments today. I'm just looking at one in particular, Goodreads review of this book. Now, it's got an average rating of 3.5 and it has 10,000 ratings. A lot. The majority of the ratings have it at a three Mm -hmm. and then followed by four, then followed by five. Uh, Not many one-star reviews though. So, you know, there's a a review by Hannah Greendale who has um, reviewed 669 books. So um, she knows what she's talking about. Yes, absolutely. She mentioned that dream scene that I talked about earlier, which I couldn't remember. (laughs) Here's how it 
word for word how it's written. Keep track of the amount of times that he wakes up or he says the word awake or dream. <laughs> okay. His dream woke him up. This time, he really woke up and realized that the first time, he had only dreamed that he was awake, had only dreamed that he had become a giant. Dreams upon dreams. Was he awake now? I don't know. He follows it up with a little thing here saying, like, with mention of Gap Fisher and Nintendo games and watching the first Indiana Jones movie, there's no shortage of nostalgia in Monster Blood, but it's not enough to make up for the limping plot, inconsequential tertiary characters, mm-hmm. and amateur writing. The only scary thing about this book is how bad it is. I mean, look, we, we gave it the same, we gave it the same, the same numerical rating, so we can't disagree with that. And so I will have to use one of my carefully prepared stingers, which is Stein, you've really dropped the ball on this one. Stein, you dropped the ball on this one. I have a segment I'm pitching to you. Yeah. Um, I uh, fantasy booked uh, Monster Blood 2. Yeah. That's going to be a segment. Um, oh. it, it's so I'm going I'm to fantasy book a sequel or like I'm going to rewrite this book with my twisted mind, you know, <laughs> like, um, like kind, of, kind of like the Joker. There's a lot of ideas going on in there. And it's going to be called Stein, Drop Me a Line. And it's because like, he obviously like, he needs to ring me to fix the script. So um, look forward to that ne- on the next book we read. It's just a bit of a teaser. Right. I really yeah. wish you'd... Yeah, you discussed that with me beforehand, but I'm sure I can. Uh, Stein, drop me a line. Is that what we're, what we're going with? Yes. Stein, drop me a line. Drop me a line. Also, okay. there, sorry, there's one, other, there's one other review where someone's given it one star and um, they're really upset with the book, but they do spend over half the review talking about the dog and how upset they are. A cocker spaniel. It's 12 years old, wouldn't be acting like a puppy in a way that Trigger does once he gets big. Yes. Because the dog is getting younger. Apparently, that's the thing this person had a real problem Otherwise, with. it's completely scientifically accurate. There are paragraphs upon paragraphs about wanting to know why Trigger is disobedient. Because instead of treating him like a dog and training him, the idiotic characters in this book plead with him and ask him to do things or reason with him instead of saying sit and stay. It's just wait five minutes, Trigger, while I run inside the shop and get an ice cream. I'll be quick. I promise. The line looks short. Yeah, he totally gets that. Understood all those words and knew exactly what he meant by them because he's also a human as well as a dog. Wow, this person is upset about the dog. I mean, look, look, they're right, but it's not worth getting upset about. <laughs> like, he's like, none of this is real. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I mean. There's so many more plot holes in this book other than they're not using the correct nomenclature with the dog. All right, Sam, what did you learn? Give me one lesson from this. I would say that if you meet a cool, bodacious person, not just a lady, any bodaciously cool person, don't be like Evan because you don't deserve anything if you're like Evan Mm. around people like Andy. Don't be an Evan in life. If you can. I think that's generally good advice. I will I will extend upon that and say if you do have some sort of unknown dangerous substance, uh just dump it in your grandma's garbage can and just go to another state and just hope it all works out for the best. Uh Sam, next time we are discussing say cheese and die. Uh it's got skeletons on the cover. It sure does. No, you're thinking of you're thinking of big Mr. Skeleton in the skeleton party. Um, wait a minute. Sorry, I'm wrong. Um, this one is about the uh, there's a boy called Andy and and his friend Evan and and him go to the shop and they buy a thing of cheese and they take it back to their house and the cat says, mm, "Put a spell on your cheese," and then the cheese gets really big 
and his dog eats it. And um, someone takes a photo of his big dog because it's the biggest dog anyone's ever seen. You and don't need person- to have you don't need to have the photo in it. The cheese is already there. The cheese is taken care of. <laughs> the person who takes the photo says, um, "Hey, dog, look over here." A dog walks. And he says, um, "Say cheese." By then, the military's there, so they've pulled out a gun, a quite a big rifle, because it's a big dog. And they, and they and so as the photographer says, "Say cheese." Um, some military man goes and die and like locks the, like cocks the gun and like shoots the dog, but it misses. I'll say that right now, it misses. So, um, looking forward to it. And on that note, I want to thank you very much for listening to. Gatsy on Goosebumps featuring the Dungeon Master Sam Rogerson. You can follow me, please, on goosebumps.podcast on Instagram. Lots of good conversations uh, being had there. Sam, uh, thank you for joining me. And don't forget to please stay spooky. And don't forget to please say please and why question things. Yeah. Gadsy on Goosebumps is a literature podcast, a co-production of Henderson Entertainment Network and Equinox Petrochemical Solutions. If you'd like to listen to more stirring podcasts or hear about how the petrochemical industry supports your local community, please visit Lartrature.com. That's Lartrature, L-A-T-T-E-R-A-T-U-R-E.com.